Hydriver Mofos, you're probably aware that I've been working flat out on our social media presence to try to expand our community of Driver Mofos globally. I've been posting tons of free content to keep you inspired, driven, and working towards your goals. So if you haven't already followed and subscribed to all my social media channels, please make sure you do so as I post different content on different platforms. The links are available in the description of this podcast down below. So this is how Singapore went from a third world country to one of the best countries in the world. And also this is what you can learn from it and potentially implement in your own life and your own business to turn it around and create something great. Welcome to The Underestimated Entrepreneur, where we talk about how to get the best out of yourself and how to build a life that you can't wait to get out of bed and live each day. This podcast is my attempt at documenting my journey, sharing my insights and what I've learned from being the private mindset and mental performance coach to some of the country's top athletes, rich listers, entrepreneurs, and running events for tens of thousands of people on how to better themselves and those around them. This is for those driven to achieve more in life, but are often underestimated by those around them. This podcast is my attempt at helping you prove your doubters wrong. Please enjoy. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about a documentary that I was watching about how Singapore ended up going from a third world country to one of the top countries on the planet and how they changed the culture of the whole country by a couple of key principles. Driven Mofos, welcome back to another episode of The Underestimated Entrepreneur. First of all, massive shout out to Matt Zubinick or Matt Zubs for leaving a review on the Apple Podcast app. I really do appreciate it. And also the five stars as well. Really do appreciate it. And thank you for everyone else out there who has been rating and reviewing this podcast. All right, let's get into the documentary that I was watching, which was a fantastic little documentary. You can probably search it on YouTube or come across it, Google. Uh, you'll find it as well. And what it was, it was about a guy called Kish. Kishmore, I better get this right, uh, Kishmore Mahabandi, who was a person who was living in Singapore. And he grew up in, from my understanding and from memory, I think it was Sri Lanka and then moved to Singapore. And essentially it was a third world country. He eventually went on to become a lecturer or teacher at university. And he went, he explained about how Singapore turned their culture around. And I thought, um, this is going to be something interesting to watch because Singapore is a great country. When I've been over there, it's clean, it's beautiful. Their airport is pretty wild. And it's just, it seems to be a really nice place. Now, I haven't lived over there for long enough, but I've had a lot of friends who live over there, who do business over there, and they all think that it's a great country. So anyway, I thought I'm, I'm keen to watch what they go over. And what he was talking about was a system that he referenced as the MPH system. And I thought, okay, this is going to be interesting. Let's see how he breaks this down and puts their transition or their cultural change into a system. Now, he came across these three key things that really made a lot of sense that when he explained it, I went, shit, if this was implemented in most businesses and most governments, I think most people would be doing great in life. The countries would be doing great and also businesses would be doing great. And so he went on to explain that these three principles really made up the whole country's turnaround from a third world country to a first world country that was probably ahead of most other first world countries. So he went on to explain these three key words, which were broken down into the MP. PH acronym. So the first one was meritocracy. And what he said was that when they, they they essentially made an agreement that they were going to be a meritocracy. Now, meritocracy means that the best people get the job. The roles are filled based on merit. And then he went on to explain that over there, their finance minister essentially has to have a very diverse background in finance. Whereas he said in most countries around the world, either roles are given to friends, family, people in their government party. They're not given to the best people for the job. Whereas in Singapore, they specifically made it part of their cultural change that the best person would get the job. So if someone was managing finance, they had to be highly versed at finance and financial understanding. They didn't get just given it because they were in a certain party 
or because they were friends of somebody else. It was based on merit. And I thought, wow, this is so good because in this day and age, the merit, the idea of meritocracy is sort of falling away quite a lot. And you can see this in the army. Now, I don't know if this is still the case, but I know that we had a fair few people coming through our events for a while who were from the military. And their complaints, both from males and females, were that the standards were being lowered to try to become more inclusive. So essentially they were lowering standards, not to get the best people for the job, but to make this idea of inclusion the most important thing. So what they were saying was that they were pissed because they weren't getting certain roles because of their skin color, which essentially is racist. They weren't getting jobs because they were trying to fill roles based on sex as well or gender. And so there were certain things in the military where there was a lower standard for women than there was for men. And so you could be less competent, but still get in because you were a woman and not a man. And so they were raising this as being a problem. Um, I have also heard of it where in certain areas like the police force, if you have a, a, a background of certain ethnicities or um, certain cultural backgrounds, it's easier to get into the police force than it is to be white, essentially, which essentially is racist and sexist. So the, this idea of inclusion is actually creating racism and sexism just in reverse. And it's all in the idea of conclusion, uh, inclusion. So it's moved away from a meritocracy where it's the best person gets the job. It doesn't matter whether you're male, female, black, white, whatever your skin color, it's the best person for the job. Now, having observed this in business and in the business world, especially in large corporate businesses, it actually starts to ruin the morale of the company and people start getting lazy and complacent and they just don't give a shit anymore because there's no point in trying if the best people aren't going to get the jobs. And so we have implemented this in our own company, what's just part of our own company where I don't really care whether someone's a male or a female. I don't even care about skin color, whatever. It makes no difference. I would want to hire the best person for the job. Full stop. Um, and I think that that's probably a very intelligent way to operate as a business owner. Certain people disagree with this and, and so on, but this is what Singapore used to turn their country around. So number one was the M of the MPH system, which was meritocracy. That roles are filled based on merit. The second one is pragmatism. And what pragmatism really is, I'll just read out specifically uh, what it says here, that it is if something can do the job that it is best suited for, then that's the thing that should be used. And it says uh, part of, if you look up the terminology of pragmatism, it evaluates the theory or belief in terms of success of a practical application. So therefore the most practical thing is used. And what this came down to was that if uh, the, the professor, or I guess you could call him the uh, professor, what he stated was that if in Singapore, for example, they didn't really care whether they were seen as a socialist country or whether they were seen as a capitalist country. They just wanted to use the best tool to get the job done. And so they just did what was right for the country. They didn't care whether they were labeled as socialist. They didn't care whether they were labeled as capitalist. They just used what worked. Real quick driven mofos, you know I don't run any advertising or sell anyone else's shit on this podcast. So the only thing that I'll ever ask from you is that you help me get this podcast out to more people and spread the word by rating and reviewing this podcast. I promise it will only take 10 seconds. So please rate and review if you haven't already done so. And thank you in advance. And I think that this is also a great way of living life as well, because a lot of people define their life based on certain rules, certain expectations. A great example of this is the way people eat. So certain people will label themselves as vegan, vegetarian, 
paleo, uh, carnivore, all of those labels may not be the best solution for the job that you want. And you need to know what the outcome is that you really want. So for instance, if you want to improve your health, then you don't need a diet to improve your health. What you need is you need to understand how your body operates. So when you start to define yourself by a certain label, it means that you may be defined by that label and it may not be the best thing for the job. So what I've seen works over the years, especially in, in certain diets or, or in health, is someone who is adaptable and learns from the feedback that their body gives them or from the data that they get given that then helps them to improve the quality of their health. Now, certain diets will respond to certain types of people, but that doesn't mean that everyone will respond to that certain type of diet. So by sticking to that diet, it's not the best use of a tool. And so what Singapore did was that they said that we are going to use pragmatism and we are going to find the best solution for an outcome and that is what we will use. And if we've been using something for 20 years and it doesn't work anymore or it's not the best solution, then we will go find a better solution. So the first one is meritocracy, finding the best people for the job or basic or getting roles filled based on merit. Then the second one was pragmatism, finding the right tool for the right job or finding the best thing for the best application. Then the third one, which he said was the hardest one, was honesty. And he said, if you have a look, corruption normally leads to the downfall of empires. But when people start doing things because of a friend or because of family, or they start mixing business with politics, then that can throw a political system out of whack. And we've all seen this happen. We see it happening all around the world. It even happens in our country where there is a lot of corruption and there is red tape and people scratching each other's backs. And you'll see politicians leave the political arena and straight away they are hired into private enterprise to go and work for that business because they've cer scratched certain backs, which I think is pretty unfair. And you can also see this happening as well. I know there's a lot of stuff. If you look up Nancy Pelosi, out of the US, uh, she is a, uh, believe that she is the chair of the Senate. A lot of her share investments are normally done at just the right times where she is so effective at share trading, she makes an absolute fuck ton of money. Now she is passing certain policies and certain rules that favor certain companies and certain industries. Now it just seems to be a certain case where she seems to buy shares at a certain time before certain policies are approved by the government, which then lead to a massive increase in those share prices. Now, if that were if that were you or I or any individual outside of a government agency, we would probably get done for insider trading and corruption. Now, there are a lot of people calling it insider trading and corruption, but again, who's gonna go and arrest this person and take them down and say, hey, this is the wrong thing to do. You cannot go and buy shares of certain organizations based on insider information because it's illegal. You cannot do that. Um, it essentially goes, it, it fucks up the whole economy. I mean, if people are just buying shares or buying businesses based on insider knowledge and knowing what's going to get passed by the government, you know, like if the government's about to go and start a war in the Middle East, let's say for instance, and I know that that's what's going to happen and I go and buy 100,000 shares of Boeing and then all of a sudden a war starts out and then the US government says, well, we need another 100,000 planes or we need another 10,000 planes. Well, Boeing are gonna make a lot more money. So that's insider trading, it is highly illegal. The reason why these laws are set up is so that you and I as normal investors and as the rest of the investing industry or the, the rest of the investing community are given the same knowledge at the same time so that there are no underhand deals happening, there is no buying and selling based on underhand knowledge or under the table knowledge. These are why these laws are put in place. So what they're saying is that the failure to look after this stuff or the failure to reduce corruption in a country will lead to its demise. So then what happened was there was a 
a Singaporean government official who went on a business holiday that was paid for by a private individual who owned large businesses. When he got back to Singapore, Singapore, he was immediately kicked out of his position in government and he was sent straight to jail. And so that was their policy, that if you fuck around, you will go to jail. And it's not the lower people in lower work positions that will go to jail. It is the upper end of town. So for instance, if what happened in 2008 happened in Singapore, e.g. in 2008, the housing bubble burst in the US, which then pretty much led to a lot of economic challenges globally. This stuff happened because of highly illegal maneuvers that were happening in the finance industry, I guess you could say. Uh, there was also a lot of stuff happening with the uh, with large organizations. So if you haven't gone and Googled Wall Street 2008, I highly recommend that you just go and Google it and watch heap of the documentaries on it. Or you might watch the housing bubble crash of 2008, go and watch the documentaries on this topic. Um, you can also watch things like The Big Short is probably my favorite movie. And it essentially highlights the amount of corruption insider trading and dodgy shit that happened in 2008. So this stuff happens a lot around the world. Now, if that were to happen in Singapore, those people would go to jail. So the bankers that would change policies in order to allow mums and dads that couldn't afford to buy their second or third house were able to then be given loans for a third or fourth house that they knew that they couldn't pay, those bankers would go to jail. The top end of the banks, not the bottom end, the top end. Whereas in 2008, when this happened, I, do, I think there are only a couple of people who got jailed for doing things highly illegal. But when you have the credit rating agencies that were essentially, they, they weren't illegally rating the shares or the portfolios. What they were doing was that they knew that there was a whole bunch of shit that was going into these portfolios that were essentially being sold to superannuation funds because they have to be AAA rated, uh, from my understanding, to go into superannuation funds. They were AAA rating dog shit and then selling it to the superannuation funds that didn't even really care at the time. They just cared about making money. So the rating agencies were doing something that was highly dodgy. The superannuation funds were doing something that was highly dodgy. The banks were doing something that were highly dodgy. And a lot of politicians were doing shit that was highly dodgy. And so it was set up to be a massive disaster because they were all taking cuts along the way. They were all getting shit under the table. They were all making money by doing the wrong thing at the expense of the US population and the global population. If that had happened in Singapore, people would go to jail. Now that happened in Iceland, where in Iceland, they, they sent to jail a whole bunch of bankers for fucking their economy. Now that didn't happen in Australia and it didn't happen in the US, which uh, is quite sad. But anyway, that was honesty. Those three parts of the MPH system were meritocracy, which is roles get filled based on merit, pragmatism, that the best solution is implemented. And if something changes or if there's a better solution to a problem, then they will use that solution. It's not based on ideologies or beliefs or what people think. It's just based on this can do the job. And then honesty, that if you're not honest, you go to jail because it leads to corruption. Now, I think this is really important that if you're running a business or you're living life, those three things are just such a beautiful way of living and even running a business. So I would recommend having a bit of a think about this topic and then seeing how you can implement it in not only your own life, but in your own business as well. Anyway, Driven Mofos, I hope you enjoyed this topic. Have an awesome day and I look forward to you joining me back here once again on another episode of The Underestimated Entrepreneur.